good to have all of you here with us this morning for our morning worship service. We appreciate the singing already, what a blessing that was, and uh, just being able to sing praises to our God who is worthy of our praise, and just appreciate the opportunity, appreciate Darren leading that, and the uh, and all of us singing along with him. Join me in your Bibles, if you would, in the book of Ruth. I know that some of you haven't been able to be here for some time. I assume that you've been following along on the um, internet or computer or however you've been watching. So um, likely you're up to date with us. Some of you might be visiting with us this morning, but we're just doing a a verse-by-verse study through the book of Ruth, uh, the narrative that is the story of Ruth. And um, really, as we unfold uh, each verse we see the theme is redemption, and we see it's a, a personal redemption. Uh, it's a nation that's being redeemed by the Lord and the people of Israel. And then it's, it's all pointing to the ultimate redemption, which is the redemption of all of God's people, all of those who have come to him by faith and, and, uh, and received what Jesus Christ has done for them. Um, and this is the most important truth all throughout Scripture. Really, it is the truth that permeates Genesis 1-1 all the way to Revelation 22, and that is to accept Christ for what he has done in his death and his resurrection for yourself personally, to believe what he has done, to believe it um, not just in an intellectual way, but to believe it in an impactful way. To believe what Christ has done for you in such a way that it transforms the reason why you live your life, the reason why you woke up this morning and put your clothes on and came to church, the reason why you do the things that you do throughout the week. That's the type of faith that is saving faith. We always want to remember that there are two types of faith really replete throughout the scriptures, and one is a saving faith and one is a deceiving faith. Um, The deceiving faith is the one that is going to lead many to believe that they're um, safe and secure in the arms of God, but are ultimately going to end up um, being that which condemns them. And then there is a saving faith that is life-changing. It is transformative, and um, it it is that which causes us to be accepted by God and to be a part of his family. So Ruth is that, Ruth, this, this is a, a narrative in, in the Old Testament that really shows us what Jesus Christ does for his people and, uh, and how he uh, does everything necessary to redeem them, to bring them back to himself and to give them all that they need. And uh, Boaz is obviously the picture of that. So if you want to join me, we're going to read the first chapter. We're going to read the, the whole chapter this morning. And then we're going to meditate for um, some time on the, on the last four verses here in this chapter and uh, learn some things that God might have for us, some lessons through this narrative. As has been presented in the last several weeks, Ruth is one of the most um, unique, detailed narratives in Scripture. It's a, a beautiful storyline, if you will. And the reason why it's so detailed and so unique is that it is a link in this eternal work of redemption. It's almost like God has, it's not almost like it is, God has put this, this, this chain together that runs throughout the scriptures, that runs from, the, from creation to the end of the world, and that every link has to fit in that chain perfectly. And if Ruth and, and Boaz and Naomi, if they fall out of that chain, then the chain falls apart, doesn't it? 
And so it has to be there. And so the, this, this narrative that's in the Old Testament that's very short but yet very detailed is there to show us that, that Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and this whole narrative fits perfectly into this chain. And then, man, it, it just says to us that none of us are insignificant in God's system, doesn't it? It's like we could say, well, well, if they just didn't do what they were supposed to do or didn't follow the path. No, the, the chain falls apart without this piece of it. And it just goes to show us that, that as, as followers of Christ, we play a significant role in this chain of redemption. And this generation in Grace Bible Church in Hollister is in that chain and John Prettyman and the Prettyman family is in that chain. And it, it's, it's, it's a real, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a humbling thing to think about, but also an encouraging thing and something that brings us hope and purpose for living life in a, in a special and specific way. Let's, let's, let's read together if you want to follow along. Ruth chapter 1. Or we could call it Ruth scene one, because really it is a, it is a play. It is a, an, a, an unfolding of events. The Bible says, in, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the, women, that the woman singular, was left without her two sons and her husband. Scene two. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she, sent, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi had two but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal, deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you, have, that you may find rest, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will not return with you to your people. We will not return. We, we, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that, you may become, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say that I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night, and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, 
Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And we learned last week that this is, this is the heart of somebody who has come to connect themselves to, in this case, to Naomi. But this is the heart of somebody who connects themselves to Christ. Uh, you can see this in the Apostle Paul's writings in the New Testament, um, how he writes in the book of Philippians, where he talks about dying, he talks about death being gain. He talks about for me to live as Christ. Um, and ultimately what he is saying, what the Apostle Paul is saying is very uh, similar to what Ruth is saying here is that I'm connecting myself to Christ and nothing will separate me from him. And this is the attitude of somebody who is converted. This is the attitude of somebody who is regenerated. They become a new creature You're no longer the same anymore. You're disconnected from the things of the past, and you're reconnected to that which is eternal, and that which is uh, glorious, that which is perfect and divine. You're disconnected from our sins and connected to his righteousnesses. You're disconnected from condemnation, and you're connected to forgiveness. You're disconnected from your old paths, and you're connected to a new path. This is the transformation that we go through and the attitude of somebody who is truly converted by Christ that is born again, the attitude of them is is wherever Christ goes, I go. Where he walks, I walk. What he does, I do. And it's not we who do it, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, it is Christ who does it through us. It is is Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but it is Christ who lives through me or lives in me. The things that I do now are not my good deeds, but they're his good deeds working through us. If you're a believer this morning in Christ, if you're a true believer in Christ, that God's Son lives inside of you, and he is not the passive part of you. He is the authoritative part of you. He is not sitting in the back seat of your car. He's in the driver's seat of your car. He's on the, in the throne of your life. He's on the throne of your life. This is the attitude that Ruth displays here in this passage of Scripture. The Bible says in verse 18, And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on. This is scene three. So the two of them went on until they they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women women said, "Is Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab 
And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Father, we do thank you for this, your word. We pray that you would help us as we um, walk through it together. Help us to understand what you're communicating to us, what you're communicating through this narrative. Lord, um, may our hearts and our lives be drawn to your truths. And may you be glorified from the change that takes place because of it. We'll give you the thanks and the praise in Christ's name. Amen. At the close of the previous scene, we see um, up in verse 18, verse 17, and 16, um, Orpah leaves Ruth and Naomi as they're uh, traveling back. They're all on this journey together. Orpah decides, based upon the recommendations of, of Naomi, Orpah decides to stay with her family, to um, continue to worshiping her gods, to marry another Moabite man. Uh, She decides to make this decision to go back to the way that things were, which described for us the fact that there are some who, um, for a season, seem to have faith in Christ, uh, for a season seem to be on the path that is a righteous path, but ultimately they fall away from the faith and they go back to their old patterns. It's not, a, it's not symbolic of somebody losing their salvation. It is symbolic of somebody not ever being saved. Okay, There isn't a, a way, according to Romans 8 and John 10, there isn't a way for us to be separated from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus as long as we are in the love of God who is in Christ Jesus. So it's important to note that Orpah represents those who are on the path for a season but never produce any fruit. And ultimately, when the going gets tough, they fall away from the faith, they reject the Messiah, and they go back to their old gods and to their own paths. On the other hand, Ruth, Ruth in, in her boldness at the end of this uh, scene, Ruth, in her boldness, says, I'm going with you, Naomi, and there's nothing that you're going to be able to do to separate from me. I am, all, I, am, I am connecting myself to you. He, uh, the, the text uses a term that's related to marriage, where it talks about two becoming one fat flesh. Uh, the husband shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That's the same term that's used here, that cleaving, is that um, Ruth is cleaving to Naomi. She's connecting herself to her. She's becoming one with her. And you see throughout this narrative in the book of Ruth that that's exactly what happens. It's interesting that they call it Ruth because really the story is about Naomi. But Ruth is the means by which Naomi is greatly blessed. She, she is the one that carries out the, uh, and has Obed and uh, marries um, Boaz. And she's the one that brings this about. But really it's about, it's about Naomi. Stories about Naomi and Ruth connects to her and connects with her and stays with her and blesses her and honors her and does all of these things to her, for her. So Ruth connects to her in a bold, in a bold move. Naomi doesn't receive it in that way. Naomi, according to the text, allows her to join her. And the two women start out on this journey to Bethlehem. Remember, remember last week that the journey was about a 50-mile journey. It was a journey that went through rough terrain. It would have taken about 7 to 10 days to make this journey. And Ruth and Naomi are going to make this journey together. One of the unique things about this journey is for Ruth, this is a journey of boldness. It's a journey of confidence. It's a journey of faith. For Naomi, it's a journey of bitterness. 
For Naomi, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a journey of frustration. Naomi is a picture of somebody who has backslidden, who has walked away from the Lord, not in a, not in a I've, I've not been saved type of a way, but walked away from the Lord and that I am one of God's children, but I, am, but I am not walking with him right now. Ruth would be described in this context as a backslidden woman. Here's what she says. To, here's what she says. So she tries to convince Naomi, tries to convince Ruth, and Orpah to not walk with her, not go with her on this journey, but to go back. All of that's a result of her attitude right now. The Bible says that when, when Ruth speaks forth this, this dissertation, if you will, I will be with you. You will not separate from me. The Bible says in verse number 18 that Naomi finally determines that Ruth is going to go with her, right? It's like, okay, I get it. Ruth, you're not going to let me go by myself. But the end of this says that she says no more. And the emphasis is that Naomi literally doesn't talk to Ruth for this entire journey. This, this is, I mean, you can imagine walking for seven to ten days in a 50-mile trek through horrible terrain in ultimate, in utter silence. Right? This is what's happening in this, in this narrative. Naomi will not talk to Ruth. She will not participate in conversation with her. She's upset. She's angry. She's frustrated. And we'll see what it looks like here in just a few, few moments. When they arrive in Bethlehem, the Bible says that the whole town is stirred by Naomi's, by Naomi's presence. It's stirred by these two women being there. Uh, this is a term that uh, it means that they're excited. They, they're, 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 uh, there's there's uh, stirring, there's excitement going on because they, they see Naomi back. She's returned after 10 years of being gone. She has returned back to Bethlehem. And it's possible and likely that they were uh, somewhat encouraged and, and in a good mood because God had also returned to Bethlehem and that he had brought blessing to them. They were no longer in a famine that was why Ruth, why Naomi left. Now they're in blessing. They're in a, a harvest time. So the, the, the town is, is stirring. They're excited about Naomi returning to them. They probably wanted to know what her story was, and they probably wanted to know a little bit about who this woman was who was with her. I want you to think about the question that they asked her. In, in, in recognizing her as Naomi, they also recognize that there was something different about her. Matter of fact, the question is asked, is this, is this really Naomi? There's something unique about her. Something about Naomi's countenance has changed. She's not the same person that she was when she left. And the inference of this, of this statement is not, oh, she's gotten a little older. Well, she was 10 years. Of course she's gotten a little older. Okay, the inference isn't that something natural has happened to Naomi and they're wondering whether or not this is really the Naomi that left. The inference is that something has happened to Naomi spiritually. Something has changed about her. She's not the same person that she used to be. And maybe you've, maybe you've known someone like that. Maybe you've been that person before where, where you, you look at your, your Christian life, you look at your joy in the Lord, you look at your excitement for Christ that was, that was there many, many years ago, but you look at yourself today and you ask yourself the question, am I, am I really that person that used to be that way? Or maybe other people might look at us and say, man, there, there's... You know, I know that that's John. I recognize him. But man, when I look at him from a spiritual perspective, he's just not the same guy that he used to be. 
There's something about him that's changed. There's something unique about him, something different about him. And, and the, inference, the inferences of this text is it's not good. And I'm not saying that she's gotten better. It's, it's implication is, is here's a woman that had a here's a woman that had an impact. Here's a woman that had a had a, a an attitude, a personality that people looked to, perhaps for spiritual leadership. Maybe when people were discouraged, they went to Naomi and she uplifted their spirits. There, there's something about her when she left that's not true about her today. It's kind of a sad, it's kind of a sad phrase, if you will, a sad moment in the context as, as these women see this woman who maybe discipled many of them. And they look at this woman and they're like, this isn't the same Naomi. This isn't the same woman that I knew. This isn't the same woman that discipled me. This isn't the same woman that walked around with a smile on her face and joy in her heart all the time, always optimistic and always positive and always encouraging. This isn't the same woman. That's the, that's, that's the question that these women ask. They, they see Naomi, they recognize her, and the people are just stirring with excitement. Naomi's back. You can, you can kind of picture being there. And in, in this time and in, in context in history, when, when something happened like this, the whole town got involved. I mean, you just see the excitement and the joy. Naomi's back, Naomi's back, but it's not Naomi. Any, it's something, there's something wrong. Something's not right. Something has changed. Naomi is not spiritually the, 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 the example anymore. Something is different about her. Something has changed. She left one way and returned another. She left with a certain spirit about her. She returned with a different spirit about her. I wonder how many of us have been on that same journey We've been on it maybe for a year, maybe for a month, maybe for 10 years or 20 years. We've been on this journey. And you know what's interesting about this journey? Naomi didn't, Naomi didn't realize what she had become, but other people around her did. Other people noticed what she had become. Other people noticed the change that had taken place in her life. So what does Naomi do? We go on in the story. Naomi quickly, listen, Naomi quickly affirms the change. Naomi, Naomi doesn't, even, doesn't even try to put the facade on or put the face on and say, no, you're wrong. I'm the same Naomi as I've always been. What does she do? Naomi quickly and immediately quenches all levels of excitement. In the, in the same way that she discouraged um, Orpah and Ruth from coming with her, what does she say to these people? She says, you're, you're right. God has, been, God has dealt with me miserably. I am a different person, and it's not my fault I'm a different person. It's God's fault I'm a different person. That's what she says. That's Naomi's attitude is, yeah, I'm not the flamboyant, exciting, uh, positive uh, discipler of women that I used to be, but it's not my fault that I'm not that way. It's God's fault that I'm not that way. God has done this to me. It's God's fault. She immediately confirms, and she immediately seeks to squelch all other excitement to just, to just put a damper on it, to throw cold water onto it, an exciting moment, which always remember this, when somebody is backslidden and somebody is bitter, they're going to throw water on things. That's just their attitude. They're always going to be negative about everything because that's what's going on inside of them. It's simply the outpouring of what's in their heart. 
It's what she does. Here the, here the whole town is. They're excited that she's returned. But she's bitter inside. And her bitterness inside makes her not want anybody else to be excited either. So she's going to squelch everybody's excitement. We need to remember this, folks, that your bitterness isn't going to only impact you. It's going to impact everybody. It's just the way it flows. She was backslidden. She was bitter. Let's go on. She tells them, do not call me Naomi. The name Naomi meant pleasant. It meant delightful. Very likely related to the way she was before she left. Names in the Bible meant something. They weren't just names. They were almost like nicknames. Where you'd call somebody by a name that was like, oh, that's what she's like. So here is your, here is your pleasant, delightful Naomi. She comes back and she's like, hey, don't call me Naomi anymore because I'm now bitter at God. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Somebody who has been dealt infirmity. Very likely, obviously related to the fact that how she came back. Naomi tells the people that while she went away full, God has brought her back empty. Isn't that our perspective sometimes? Isn't that our attitude sometimes towards God? Can you kind of picture it? I went away with everything and now I've come back with nothing. Notice not just that, but she not only says, I went away with everything, I've come back with nothing, but she implies in the text that it's God's fault. She takes, Naomi takes zero responsibility for where she's at in this moment. Everything that has good in her life, I went away full, right? So she's saying, who is responsible for her fullness? Who was responsible for her fullness? I went away full. She was responsible for her fullness. But God hath brought me back empty. Who's responsible for her emptiness? Isn't that how we view life sometimes? This whole first chapter is about what life is like without Boaz. Right away in chapter number two, you're going to meet Boaz right away. But this is how life is. Listen, this is how life is for many of us. We can see ourselves in this situation. We can see ourselves with this attitude. We can see ourselves saying these things. Naomi says, I went away full, but God brought me back empty. God has been very harsh with me, and God has brought calamity in my life. The scene closes with a recognition that Naomi and Ruth returned from Moab to Bethlehem, and it was barley harvest when they returned. And Naomi never understands that. Naomi never comprehends what's going on here. Her her perspective is completely selfish. All Naomi can see is Naomi. Naomi can't even see Ruth walking beside her this whole entire journey. It's literally like she walked 50 miles, 7 to 10 days, by herself with somebody walking right beside her. 
Is there, is, there, is, there, is there a greater selfishness than that? Is there? Is there a greater selfishness than that? This woman has totally blocked out everything except herself. The world revolves, you want to talk about living in a bubble? The world revolves around Naomi's bubble. I want you to think about five truths that come out of this. And I'm just going to unfold them fairly quickly for you this morning. Number one is Naomi had a wrong perspective. Naomi had a wrong perspective. Naomi blames God for her calamity. She calls him the Almighty. The, the word here simply means that his strength was mightier than hers. In other words, what's happened to me, I had no control over. She uses the term almighty to describe his power being greater than hers. And therefore, while she might have resisted these things, God was more powerful and brought calamity into her life. And there was nothing that she could do about it. God was harsh and unfair to her. Naomi blames God for her situation. And we know that based upon his sovereignty, he is responsible for her situation. But we also know based upon her sinfulness, she is responsible for her situation. Job says it this way when talking to his wife. You speak as one of the foolish women should speak. Shall we receive good from the Lord and not also receive evil or calamity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. She blames God for her calamity. She honors herself for being full. She honors herself for having a husband and a son. Her fullness is assumed to be her doing. She never makes a mention of the fact that the reason she's in her condition is clearly noted in verse number um, 21, the first few words, she says this, I went away. Do you know why Naomi's, Naomi's in the situation that she's in right here? Is because she walked away. We see this in the first few verses of the text where they decided there was a famine. They decided that they're going to go where there isn't any trouble. Listen to me, folks. Sometimes running away from trouble is the worst thing that you can do. She blames God God for her emptiness. God caused her to be empty. God took everything that she had earned and deserved, and God had treated her in an unfair way. She accuses God of being in opposition to her. She accuses God of bringing calamity to her. Naomi, Naomi sees herself as good and worthy and sees God as unfair and the author of all of her problems. She calls him the Almighty, referring to the fact that he was stronger than she was. You ever thought about that? Well, I wouldn't have done it that way. I couldn't fight God, so, I mean, he's, he's in control. He's sovereign. I wouldn't have done it that way. We want to put these negatives onto God and put the positives onto ourselves. She had the wrong view of self. She had the wrong view of God. And because she had the wrong view of self and the wrong view of God, it led her into bitterness. What Naomi concluded was that 
God is putting me through something that I don't deserve. God is allowing calamity or orchestrating calamity in my life that I don't deserve. I've never done anything to deserve this. Folks, unfortunately, this cannot be said by any of humanity. God will never do anything to us worse than what we deserve. Never. We deserve, what we deserve is horrific. Every ounce of breath and life and every moment of pleasure is a grace. It's not deserved. It's not earned or merited. God shows us favor every day. She can't see it. And listen, we often can't see it. So what does it lead Naomi to? The wrong perspective about self, the wrong perspective about God, the wrong perspective about her problems and her situations lead her, leads her to be bitter. And when she gets bitter, watch what, how it flows. Number one, she's unwilling to talk to Ruth. She will, she will go on a seven to ten day journey and not spend one moment communicating with the woman that is looking to her for discipleship. This woman has committed her life to the discipleship of Ruth, and Ruth will do nothing for her. Or Naomi will do nothing for her. She has neglected somebody who is looking for, for her for everything. Why? Because she's bitter. And she has a right to be bitter because God did something to her that she didn't deserve. Wrong. God didn't do anything to Naomi that she didn't deserve. Unwilling to talk to Ruth. Unwilling to celebrate with her people. Visibly making sure that she expresses her discontent and dissatisfaction. I don't just want to be bitter. I want everybody to see my bitterness, which is what bitterness does to you. And unwilling to value her companion. She says this to God. She's standing there next to a young woman who has committed her life to her. And here's what she says to God. God, you brought me back with no one. How horrible is that? What do you think Ruth is thinking right now, standing next to her, and she says, God brought me back with no one. It's interesting because in chapter number four, God says that Ruth is better than seven sons. And that doesn't mean seven sons. That means an innumerable amount of sons. It is the perfect number. That Ruth is better than seven sons. She goes from this to that. And that's the work of God. That's what God is doing. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. It doesn't say by it you become defiled. Yes, that's true. But by it, many become defiled. So Ruth had a wrong perspective. It led her to bitterness. It led her to forsaking everybody else for, to, to being ineffective and unfruitful in ministry completely. Let's look at God's goodness. This is what Ruth misses, and I think this is what we miss a lot. The first thing that it says in verse number 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. 
The interesting thing is, is that Ruth and Naomi made a journey together that was an impossible journey. It's likely that Elimelech died based upon this journey. This was no easy journey. So the fact that Ruth and Naomi made it to Bethlehem, listen, the fact that Ruth and Naomi made it to Bethlehem was a miracle. It was a gift. It was a grace. It was a kindness to God. Listen, from God. Not only that, but he says this. He emphasizes this. So the, and he uses the word to. This is not there by mistake. The word two has been put there for a reason. Number one, they both made it. And number two, no one went alone. Those are both graces of God. Ruth couldn't sue that. Matter of fact, Ruth's word, or Naomi's words are the exact opposite of what the Lord points out in this text. The exact opposite. I've come alone. She makes it back alive. She makes it back with Ruth. The people are excited to see her. She does not come back empty, but she comes back with Ruth, who is better than seven sons. She comes from Moab, which was a place where is representation of sin and worldliness. She comes from Moab, and she comes back to to Bethlehem. Matter of fact, the, the, the key phrase... The theme of this of these four verses is simply this. They made it back to Bethlehem. That's the theme. The most important phrase it's said five times in this portion of Scripture was they made it back to Bethlehem. They made it back to Bethlehem. They not only get back to Bethlehem, but they get back during the beginning of barley season. Listen, that wasn't an accident either. They didn't walk in to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley season by accident. You will find in the next few chapters that barley season becomes the most significant piece of one of the most significant pieces of the story. A good God. God is good in spite of our ability to see it. Number four, a greater purpose. What happens in this narrative is that God accomplishes a bigger picture. God has a bigger purpose. God is working out a bigger plan. When he says five times that they made it back to Bethlehem, it is because the most important thing that can happen in this whole narrative is that these two women who will fall in line of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, make it back to Bethlehem. It's the most important phrase in this entire text. They made it back to Bethlehem. You know what that means? That means the chain in the link of mankind's redemption is in place. And can I submit to you that there is nothing more important in this life than the chain of redemption being in place. And if it takes all of this narrative and all of this story and all of this event to get the chain of redemption in place, listen to me, it is worth it. Whatever trouble you're going through, whatever difficulty you're going through, if God is using something to get you back where you belong, it is worth it. 
Yes, it might be painful. And yes, you may not see it in the moment. And yes, you may experience bitterness and anger and all of these things. But if it gets you where you belong, it's worth it. Matter of fact, in the Christian life, it's often the difficulties that we face that get us back to where we belong. There's a greater purpose. There's a bigger purpose. There's a bigger plan. It's not about Naomi. It's about God. It's not about Ruth. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not about suffering and trials. It's about redemption. It's not about us. It's about him. When we have a full view of God's purposes, things don't matter so much. When we have a full view of things, God doesn't matter so much. There's a greater purpose. They made it back to Bethlehem. Do you know for us who are thousands of years removed from this, this is the most important statement in this entire text. To David, this is the most important statement in the entire text. To Boaz, this is the most important statement in the entire text. They made it back to where God wanted them. There's a greater purpose. The healing truth is this. In spite of all that we know about Ruth and and Naomi, God closes the scene in verse 23. God closes the scene that they made it back to Bethlehem where God's blessing was already present. God has used two imperfect women, one who is bitter and one who is a Moabite. God has used two imperfect women to fulfill his amazing purposes. That's where we're at. We walk through each day, and listen to me, if you're like me, you're flawed. Anybody out there flawed like me? Flawed. Badly flawed. Walking through life doing my best to honor Christ in everything that I do and failing at it every day of my life. But what I can see in this text is a promise that God can take two women, one who is lost, one who is lost, right? One who was lost spiritually, the other one who was just simply lost on her journey. And God can use them for his glory. God can use you. God can use you for his glory. God can use you in his plan. God can use you for his purposes. There's an amazing promise fitted right into this last port. Before we ever meet the the Boaz of the story, what we learn is, is that God uses fallen, broken people. And it doesn't mess up his redemptive plan. The last thought this morning is simply a healthy process. What do I do? I want to give you some things to think about. Maybe you're in that boat this morning and you are bitter. I titled the message this morning, Backslidden, Bitter, and Blind. Backslidden, Bitter, and Blind, because that's what, that's what Naomi was. Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you can't see God's goodness in your life. Maybe, maybe everything that's bad in your life you see, and everything that's good, in, and you, maybe you blame God for it, and everything that's good in your life you see is yours, and you blame yourself for it, and you just, you just have this thing going on, and it's just you're, just, you're just blind to the truth, or maybe you're bitter. And I don't know what part of that journey that you're in, but listen to me. If you walk away from God, you will end up being bitter, and you will end up being blind. So here's what you need to know. If you're there this morning, there's a solution. 
there's a solution. Okay? Number one is take personal responsibility. Learn to take personal responsibility. Everything that's bad in this world, remember this, everything that's bad in this world is not a result of God. It's a result of us. We have messed up that which is perfect. We have messed up that which was created with zero flaws. We have messed it up. We have broken it. If there's to be blame given, it's to be to us, not to him. Matter of fact, we, he made it perfectly. We destroyed it and continue to destroy it. And he continues to work to redeem it. So if there's anything bad that's taking place in the world around us, it's not to be put the blame on God. It's to be on us. We should come to him in brokenness and repentance saying, God, look what we've done to what you have created. Forgive us and help us. We're in a moment in our culture, in our world today, where we're seeing the the outpouring of, uh, of fruits of our sinfulness, and we're not falling before God, saying, God, please, we've broken it. We've broken what you gave us. We've destroyed it, and we're destroying it more. Please forgive us and help us. This is what the Old Testament prophets would have called the people to do. Fall down before God and, com- and, and confess that you're the one that broke things, not him. Our God, our God is gracious and merciful to those who fall down and plead with him for those things. It is not for the self-righteous. Take personal responsibility for where you're at right now. Take personal responsibility for where you're at. The second thing that you can do that's helpful is be patient. Be patient. Scene four, Boaz. Scene four is Boaz. He's the deliverer. He's the redeemer. He's the hope. He is all all of it. Be patient. Around the corner could be the Lord. Be patient. Be trusting, number three. Look at life with an eternal perspective. Look at life with a bigger perspective. Look at life as if there's more than just me. And there's more than just us. Look at life as if God is doing something in our world. The last thing in regards to what we can do is move in the direction of God's blessing. Listen, even in the midst of Naomi's utter bitterness, you know what she does right? You know what she does right? (laughs) She gets going to where God is. She gets moving to where God is. She might want to go alone. She might want no one to go with her. But she hears about God's blessing, and we know what she does. She gets going that direction. She's putting herself in a position where if God is blessing, she's going to be a part of it. I don't know if this came from Ruth's just understanding from her, from her training, from her child. I don't, I don't know what it is. But listen, I see this. This is one thing that Ruth did right, is that when she found where God was moving again, she went and wanted to be a part of it. That's what we can do. Put yourself in a place where God's blessing is, where God's blessing flows. And you say, well, Pastor John, does that mean a place? No, it's not always a place. Sometimes it's just a simple attitude. Put yourself in an attitude of repentance. Put yourself in an attitude of confession. Put yourself in an attitude 
of thankfulness. Put yourself in an attitude. What you're doing is, is you're entering into a realm where God normally blesses. You're moving in that direction. Don't stay where you're at and don't move further away from where God is. Move in the direction that God, where God is showing himself to be real, where God is showing himself to be blessing. So those are some things that you can do in this process. I believe that we are living in a generation, especially a lot amongst Christians, where we, are, where we are experiencing people that are full of bitterness. They've been hurt. They've been mistreated. They've been, they've been, I mean, we can't even begin to unfold how many things have happened to us that, quote, unquote, we don't deserve, right? When you get into the attitude of, quote, unquote, you don't deserve it, you are on the doorstep of bitterness if you're not already in it. And then when you get in that bitter world, you start becoming blind. Everything negative becomes about everybody else and everything positive becomes about you. You may not blame God for all the problems in our world, but I'll guarantee you, you're not going to blame yourself for it either. Well, it's that group's problem. It's that, listen, it's our problem. Our world's problems are our problems. And the only way that we're going to get to a place where we're going to see God moving in a substantial way again is we put ourselves in a situation, we put ourselves in an attitude, we move in the direction of where he moves. We get that heart and that attitude. So my prayer is for us today that we would take responsibility for where we're at, that we would learn to be patient because God is going to move, God is going to bless. We would learn to trust that there is a bigger picture unfolding. It's not about you, it's about him. And we learn to move in the direction of God's blessing and God's presence. Have devotions each day. Pray each day. You can do these things. And you're moving in the direction of God's blessing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for your word. Um, We confess to you that we do have a wrong perspective on on a daily basis, that we often don't see things as they really are in a spiritual way. And we move towards bitterness and anger and frustration. We move to blindness, where we want to blame everybody else for the problems that we face. And we don't want to take responsibility and we don't want to confess. And Lord, we just, we need, we need to be broken by you. We need to be willing to confess and admit that where we are is because we went there. And that, Lord God, that if you would please bring us back. If you would please bring us back, Lord, we would, we would honor you and praise you for it. Please uh, bless the sermon this morning. Bless your word. Bless the uh, congregation that's here. Um, give you the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.